Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we discussed just what it means to be the global reserve currency, some of the advantages it bestows on whoever's wearing the crown, and knowing how much China covets this title, some of the hurdles still standing in its way before they can overtake us. But despite the fact the dollar has strengthened relative to most other currencies as the Russian invasion of Ukraine unfolded, it's a privilege we can no longer take for granted because a growing number of countries are beginning to trade directly with one another, bypassing the need to convert to dollars at all. This week, we're following a related theme. As countries begin to question their currency dependencies, is globalization itself, as some are suggesting, dead as well? Given the strains on supply chains due to COVID-related shutdowns, labor strikes, and congestion at our ports, or simply the fact that we're running out of key raw materials, just-in-time manufacturing does seem a stretch. In his letter to shareholders, BlackRock's Larry Fink said, I quote, The Russian invasion of Ukraine has put an end to globalization as we've experienced it over the last three decades. We'd already seen connectivity between nations strained by the two years of the pandemic, which left people looking inward and only exacerbated the polarization we're seeing now across society. As he said, while war in Ukraine and our dependence on Russian energy may be in the spotlight today, governments are looking at dependencies in general because some of them are creating pain points, which in turn are beginning to put countries, companies, and people at risk. For years, ever since the end of the Cold War and Nixon opening up China, we've benefited from the peace dividend and from the expansion of globalization, which helped spur economic growth while reducing poverty around the world. But that's beginning to change. So... A bit of a personal note, Tom Friedman published his book, The World is Flat, on April 5th, 2005, and won a Nobel Prize for his work. But by that time, I'd already written Creative Destruction in February 2002, Is the U.S. Losing Its Competitive Edge in 2004, and in 2005, Foreign Exposure, in which I talked about everything he did years later. He said the world was flat because the competitive playing field between industrial and emerging market countries was leveling, and individual entrepreneurs and companies were becoming part of a large global supply chain extending across oceans. 
well, three years earlier in Creative Destruction, I said, my favorite themes of convergence and globalization have long been drivers of innovation, economies of scale, and investment. Now, that is, back in 2002, there's a massive shift to outsource and to focus on narrower core competencies. Things have gone global, and with the widespread use of the internet, new ideas will spread at the speed of light. Suddenly, we're on the verge of an even playing field, and the implications are immense. Well, that was then, and this is now. And, as an old Bay Area billboard once said, shift happens. Or, as Seth Godin observed, change is the new normal. <laughs> you know, before we talk about terms like onshoring, nearshoring, and reshoring, I think it's important to point out that globalization may be more important to China than any other country. Trade with the U.S. and the EU accounts for nearly 70% of their GDP, and until their internal consumption, for more than their 800 million people who've only recently been elevated out of poverty grows substantially more. Exports will remain critical to China. And as for Asia in general, since consumers make up only 38% of their GDP, exports will remain important to them for a long time. But as many countries, ever since COVID struck, it has led to sky-high air and ocean freights. And companies with operations in China, for example, have seen their production come to a halt multiple times after waves of shutdowns were instituted, scores of container ships, have until recently sat idle for weeks on end at ports from Louisiana to Los Angeles, and it's been costing manufacturers billions of dollars and, well, for retailers, lost sales. In fact, more than 50% of consumers surveyed have said, after just one negative experience, they'd never do business with that company again. These days, consumers like to support products made in their own country feeling its benefits, their local economy, and here in the U.S., they feel more confident in product quality. Due to the Amazon effect, they expect things delivered, if not the same day, overnight. And if suppliers are further away, delivery times can not only take longer, it lacks the sort of transparency people want when it comes to tracking their packages. So onshoring is a trend because it can lead to shorter, more predictable lead times without necessarily costing more. With rising labor and shipping costs, the savings we once found from outsourcing overseas where labor has been cheaper, that's more than offset if it adds weeks to the delivery time. Time, as they say, is money. And near or onshoring not only means shorter distances, the logistics can be less complicated, and the savings on fuel, which we know has more than doubled over the past year, is enormous. But going back to the economies of scale and to focusing on narrower core competencies, companies like Apple, and even more markedly Tesla, have found how important and valuable an advantage it can be to be in control both of their key components and of their entire supply chain as well, because a chain is only as strong, as they say, as its weakest link. And the way in which the recent shortage in semiconductors, for example, crippled production and brought things to a standstill for everything from Ford and GM to game consoles and medical devices, it's a lesson we won't soon forget. And as a result, 
companies across every industry are taking another look at vertical integration. Again, in Tesla's case, for their new Gigafactory in Berlin, they felt that the cost and headache it would mean in their getting final permitting approval was worth every fennig over the long term when they decided to delay the start of manufacturing for months because they decided to add manufacturing for their new battery there at the plant. But this transformation doesn't, in my opinion, mean the end of globalization, as Larry Fink suggests, since more than 60% of the S&P 500 earnings will still come from business overseas. Moreover, nearshoring, perhaps in places like Mexico, and certainly more when it comes to the services sectors, because investments in them are more flexible and people can be just as productive when they're working remotely. But even when it comes to manufacturing, even when you factor in overseas inflation and exchange rates, labor quality, and churn rates, it can make sense to localize a company's supply chain footprint in whatever market they're serving. Things destined for Europe, for example, should perhaps be made in Europe, while things they're selling here, it makes sense and maybe more cost-effective to make them here. But that by no means means the end of globalization. It's just that the term globalization may mean something else, like maybe regionalization. Also, throughout our conversation, the assumption has been that the cost of labor and manufacturing themselves are more expensive here than overseas. And in many ways, that may be true. But as Kathleen Barton, who used to be the U.S. education manager at Intel 20 years ago, said, whenever new technology eliminates less sophisticated jobs, it tends to create high-level positions elsewhere. In other words, outsourcing simply improves the quality of the people who still work for you here, which actually leads to another issue, which is the difficulty companies are having when it comes to finding qualified people. This may be part of the reason why Tesla, again, is so focused on robots and making the machine that makes the machine, so they can automate as much of the process as possible in the first place. But ultimately, this is a big issue and part of the demographic update that Lori and I will discuss soon in another podcast. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you did, that you will share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. This is Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data, or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced, and such data and information are subject to change without notice. 
This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.